This is the Thursday, June 9th edition of Talk at the Heartland, heard all over the Omaha extended metro area and far beyond that on KCRO radio and literally all over the world wherever the internet is accessible on KCRO.com. This is Talk of the Heartland. This is Gary Hutchins filling in for Mac Macaroni McCoy. I'm from the Sunny Slope Church of Christ right here in Omaha, and I've worked with Mac a number of times on the program, and I'm very honored and blessed to be able to fill in for him today while he is recovering from serious shoulder surgery this past Tuesday. I want to encourage you, please keep Mac in your prayers. Pray that uh, the surgery will be completely successful, but also pray that he will be blessed with as speedy and easy and pain-free recovery as possible. Again, major surgery is nothing to sneeze at. I've had a few of those in my lifetime, and uh, shoulder surgery is going to require quite some time of recovery. But Mac will probably be back in the studio soon, and uh, again, this is just a short-term basis where I've been able to fill in for him for a couple of days. So again, talk of the heartland, Mac's program, and we're thankful to be able to be a part of that today. Yesterday, we looked at one of the, I think, really major questions in the minds of a lot of people when it comes to, can I believe in God? Can I have faith in God, true faith in God? Can I trust God? Can I really believe what he says as he's communicated it to me through his word, the Bible? Well, the answer to all of those questions is absolutely yes. No question about it. Without a doubt, you can believe in God. And everything that he says, that he has communicated to us through his word, you can hang your hat on it, so to speak. Absolutely true, absolutely trustworthy. God is the epitome of goodness and righteousness, of trustworthiness. John describes him as God is love in 1 John 2. uh, twice at least in those five short chapters. God can be trusted like no one in this world because he can't lie. He does not lie. He is the God of truth. In fact, we would probably have a difficult time defining truth, and a lot of people have have a difficult time with that anyway today, but we would have a difficult time defining truth coming to some kind of basic understanding of what it is without believing in God. God is truth. Well, those first, that, that first question of these two big ones that I think have been in the minds of mankind basically since the beginning is why do bad things happen to good people? And we talked about that and we listed a whole host of different answers to that question. The bottom line answer is sin. Sin prevails in this world, and sin has consequences. And so bad things happen sometimes even to good people because there's sin all around us. Other people are committing sin. Other people are doing evil acts. We think about the shooting in Uvalde, all those little children being shot dead, some others wounded, teachers being shot dead by an evil act from from an evil man. Well, that's sin. Innocence getting hurt in the process. We can make the same kind of applications when we talk about wars, when we talk about killings, when we talk about all kinds of evil acts wherein innocent people get hurt. Bad things happen to them. But we also need to recognize that sometimes we make bad mistakes in our, in, our, in our own lives, through our own thinking, that result in bad consequences, even though we're trying to live a good life. But a whole lot of times we also need to understand that a lot of times when we look at someone and say that's a good person, not necessarily so by God's standards. You cannot live in unfaithfulness with a lack of dedication to God because you're not obeying his, his word on a consistent basis and still think, well, I'm still a good person. Well, you may not be as bad as somebody 
who shoots somebody else down in an act of murder, but that doesn't mean you're a good person by God's standards. And again, we gave a whole host of answers to that. Now, this second part of the question, and we could call this the second big question, in the minds of people, again, probably basically from the beginning, and it really goes along with the first, the first being why do bad things happen to good people? Well, the second question, why do good things happen to bad people? (laughs) Okay, we can maybe wrap our minds around why do bad things sometimes happen to good people? We gave, I think, some very logical, reasonable, and biblical answers to that question. But then we really struggle at times with the converse of that, and that is why do good things happen to bad people? I want us to look at one particular psalm, highlight that psalm, and that's Psalm 72, uh, 73, I'm sorry. That psalm lays out for us the, I guess we could say, the intellectual wrestling match that we go through a lot of times. I suspect that this particular psalmist, and he begins the psalm by basically laying out, let me tell you what I learned. Here's the fact of the matter. But then he goes into a whole lengthy discourse about how he almost lost his faith because, and I think we can probably understand, he was trying to live a good, godly life all the time, and he was struggling. And he looked around him, and here were all kinds of wicked people, evil people, ungodly, unfaithful people, and boy, their life just seemed to be hunky-dory. Everything seemed to be going well. They were successful. They didn't even suffer that much. And yet he's struggling along, trying to do what's right, and he's struggling and suffering, and probably some within his own family. Well, why do bad things happen to good people? Let's read Psalm 73. I'll begin. Again, he lays out in the very beginning that he'd learned the lesson, and this is the truth of the matter. So he says, truly, God is good to Israel to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, now let's not be confined by that phrase, to Israel. God is good. God is good to humanity. God is good to those who truly live their lives in faithful obedience to him on a consistent basis. To such as are pure in heart. In other words, they're living by God's teachings. Then he goes on and he says, but as for me, My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. I think we can boil that down and analyze it and say, he's saying, I almost lost my faith. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. We looked around him and he saw people who were not trying to live godly lives, and they seemed to be doing just fine. They were prospering, in fact. And he says, I I almost lost it. My feet almost slipped, I stumbled. My, my, my steps nearly slipped, I almost lost my faith. He goes on and he goes into something of a lengthy and detailed description of what he was seeing in wicked people all around him. There are no pangs in their death. No pangs in their death, no pains. In other words, if they're going to die, they're not going through months and months and months of suffering. But their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men. As other men, uh, those who are trying to live a righteous life, I think we can conclude. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. And he's probably talking about some of the experiences he was having in his own life. And he was trying to live a godly life. And yet he's seeing these other people out there and they're not trying to live a godly life, but they're doing just fine. No problems. He goes on and he says, therefore, pride serves as their necklace. In other words, they're not only only ungodly, they're not only unfaithful, they're arrogant about it. Pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. And it's not just a matter of their passively going along and not obeying God. No, they're living violent lives in disobedience to him as well, causing others to suffer. 
their eyes bulge with abundance. In other words, they're very prosperous, probably wealthy in some cases. They have more than heart could wish. They don't have just the necessities, and maybe he was tr- struggling try to, trying to maintain the necessities of life. And he says, boy, they've got abundance. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than their heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the, uh, the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Well, they speak, they scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. People they're oppressing, probably oppressing some people to get rich themselves. And notice, they set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. Well, they're living worldly lives, and even their speech indicates that and identifies such in their lives. But think about people today who live their life, and and boy, it seems like Every other sentence has a curse word in it, and about every other or maybe every third sentence has some kind of profane way of using God's name or the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and it's just normal conversation for them. That's the way they speak. They don't even have to think about it. They use it for emphasis. They're proud about it, arrogant. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Their speech identifies worldliness in their lives, ungodliness in their lives. Therefore, his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Now, they're scoffing at God, indicating through some of their speech, hey, what do you mean, follow God? What do you mean, faithful to God? I'm getting away with all this stuff. God's not doing anything to me. How does God know? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. And so he's saying, I've sought God's forgiveness. I've sought to live a godly life in futility. It hasn't meant anything. These people aren't even trying to live a godly life and they're prospering. For all day long, I have been plagued and chastened every morning. He's struggling in his life and they're getting away with it. Well, Let's stop, take a short break. We'll come back and continue in just a bit. Welcome back to Talk of the Heartland. This is the Thursday, June 9th edition of Talk of the Heartland. It's heard all over the extended Omaha metro area and beyond that on KCRO Radio. And that's what you're listening to right now if you're tuning in. And literally, it is listened to all over the world wherever the internet is accessible on KCRO.com. And you can listen if you're taking a trip, if you're out of the area, And so the airwaves of the station don't reach wherever you are. You can pick up this station on kcro.com. This is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ here in Omaha, and I'm filling in for Mac McCoy. This is Mac's program. He has blessed me, and God working through him blessed me a number of times to work with Mac on this program. But uh, Mac had shoulder surgery on Tuesday of this week, and he is uh, recovering from that surgery. And I am honored and blessed to be able to fill in for him for a couple of days during his recovery. I want to encourage you, please keep Mac in your prayers on an ongoing basis, He should be back in the studio soon, but keep praying for him even after that for complete success from the surgery and also for as easy and speedy and pain-free a recovery as possible. 
and it'll be good to see Mac, to see Mac back in the studio. We're going to continue with our line of thought and study. We've been talking about two major questions in the minds of a lot of people. Yesterday, we dealt in depth and in detail with the first big question, and that is, why do bad things happen to good people? And we talked about a whole host of reasonable, I believe, common sense reasons why sometimes, in fact, a lot of times, good, uh, bad things happen to people we would consider to be good people. I hope you were able to listen to that particular program. It's, I think, a study that we really need to consider, really, in depth, in an ongoing basis. We need to keep it in, the, in our minds. But this is the second part of that study, and it's really the second question. Why do good things happen to bad people? Well, if we can wrap our minds around why do sometimes, in fact, many times, bad things happen to people who are truly good people, well, then how do we wrap our minds around why do good things happen to people who are bad people, who are ungodly, who are unrighteous and are making no pretense about their unrighteous lives? They're not even trying to live a godly, faithful life. Bible? They may have one in their home, but they don't open it up, if at all, ever, rarely. Never read it virtually ever, if at all. Trying to be faithful to God? No, God's not even in their head. And that's where a lot of people are in our world today. God's not even in their head, not even in their thoughts. Why do they do this? Why do you not do that? God's not even in consideration. Well, why do good things happen to some people who are even really bad people, at least the appearance of good things happening to them. Well, we've been looking at Psalm 73, and the psalmist here, he begins by stating the truth of the matter, and this is a lesson that he ultimately learned. Truly, God is good to Israel, but we're not confining this just to Israel. We're talking about truly God is good to his true people to such as are pure in heart, those who are really living godly lives, faithful to God, living by his teachings communicated to us in his word. But then he goes on and he says, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. He was saying, in essence, I think, I almost lost my faith. I was perplexed. I was confused. He says in verse 3, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Oh, he said, I looked around me. I was trying to do what was right. I was trying to live a life that would glorify God, stay faithful to him, follow his teachings, and I'm struggling. I've been struggling. He could probably say some of those bad things we talked about in the first part of this study yesterday. Yeah, I've experienced some of those, even though I've been trying to live a good life before God. But I look around me at wicked people all around, people who are not even trying to live a faithful, godly, obedient life to his teachings, and boy, they're just they're, they're prospering. Even in death, they don't suffer all that, they don't go through all that suffering and, and months-long process of dying. Their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men. They're not plagued like other men. They're not only they're not only living ungodly lives, they're arrogant about it. They're getting away with it in their minds. At least that's what they think. Violence covers them like a garment. In other words, they're living violent lives toward other people, probably some of those good people that they are taking advantage of in violent ways and that they are prospering from. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. In other words, they, they're not just getting by. <laughs> they're wealthy. They have more than their heart could wish. And notice their attitude, their arrogance. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. In other words, people they're oppressing and probably getting wealthy off of, taking advantage of those people, trying to live a right life. 
They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. In other words, their speech betrays them as well. They're not, they're not again, making any pretense about trying to make a good appearance of living a faithful life to, before God. No, no, no. They're open they're openly evil, wicked, ungodly, unrighteous, and their speech shows it as well as their actions. Well, he goes on and he says, therefore, his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. They're, again, they're, they're oppressing people, good people. They say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Well, some people think, uh, why should I change my life? I'm getting away with it. Nothing bad's happening to me. Why should I, why, should I, why should I try to do right? Behold, these are ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. And so they're not suffering the consequences from a material perspective of their ungodly behavior. They're getting richer. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain this psalmist says, and washed my hands in innocence. He says, I must be foolish in trying to live a godly life. I've tried to do what's right, and that just hasn't worked out. All day long I have been plagued and chastened and chastened every morning. In other words, his life has been hard, at least to a great extent. He's struggled He's trying to live a godly life, and he's still struggling. His life is still difficult. But he looks around to peop- at him, all around him, of people who are absolutely ungodly, wicked, evil, l- boasting about it, arrogant about it, even, e- even in, in a way contradicting God through their speech. And they're prospering. In verse 15, he goes on and says, If I had said... I will speak thus, behold, I would, have, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. He was confused. He was bewildered. Why? When someone is trying to live the right life before God, dedicated to him consistently, obedient to his teachings, And boy, he struggles. Life is hard. He suffers in different ways. And here are these people who are not only not trying to live a godly life, they're arrogant in their ungodliness and even mocking of God. Does God even see? Why should I change? Nothing's happening. And so he says, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Now, if that were the end of the psalm, then we would be left perplexed. Whatever happened to him? How should we understand this psalm? But right away, verse 17, he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awakens, so, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Now, what is he saying here? When I just looked around me, when I just looked at my life and the difficulty, the hardship that I experienced, and I've tried to live a godly life, and I looked around me and I saw these wicked people all around, not even trying to be faithful to God, and they're prospering, and they're boasting in their arrogance of being ungodly. I just didn't understand. I was bewildered. I was confused until I went into the sanctuary of God. Now, how would we make that application to our lives today? Until, until I really looked into God's word, and I really, I really kept myself dedicated to God through the church. And then I understood their end, he says. Oh, they're on a slippery slope. They're not getting away with anything. God is always in charge. God is absolutely all-knowing, and God will hold them accountable. 
And while the psalmist wrote this thousands of years ago, the same principle is true for us today. Why do good things happen to bad people? Well, they're not getting away with anything. Again, remember, just as we pointed out that the devil is active in the process of bringing bad things on good people, so he is also active in bringing what we would consider to be good things on bad people. Trying to help people see that no need to follow God, no need to be faithful, no need to be dedicated, no need to follow what the Bible says. Look at old Joe over there, or Mary. They're living an absolutely ungodly life, and they are wealthy beyond their even imagination. Now, the psalmist said, that's not going to hold true. They're not getting away with it. God is going to hold them accountable. They're on a slippery slope. And their desolation, oh, going to catch them by complete surprise. All of a sudden, the reality of the consequence of their sinful lifestyle is going to hit them square between the eyes. And the psalmist is not suggesting that we ought to rejoice in their destruction. He's simply saying, don't get hoodwinked by the devil. Don't get taken in by surface level understanding. We're going to have to take a short break. We'll be back and continue this study in just a moment. Okay. We're back on Talk of the Heartland. This is the Thursday, June 9th edition of Talk of the Heartland. Heard all over the extended Omaha metro area on KCRO radio and literally all over the world through the incredible medium of the internet uh, on KCRO.com. So if you're away from the Omaha area, too far out to receive the radio waves wherever you might be, or even if you're in other countries, you can still tune in on kcro.com. I am Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ right here in Omaha, filling in for Mac, that is Macaroni, McCoy, who is recovering from shoulder surgery this past Tuesday. We do encourage you, please keep Mac in your prayers as he is recovering from that major surgery. Pray that the surgery will be completely successful and also pray that he will have a speedy and as easy and pain-free a recovery as possible. He'll probably be back in the studio pretty soon. I'm very blessed and very thankful and uh, honored, and God gets all of the glory, the honor, the praise, and the thanks for being uh, able to sit in for Mac a couple of days during his recovery. And I pray that the lessons that I'm bringing are being a blessing for you. And again, that God, bottom line, is being glorified through this study. We've been talking about two major questions that I think really a lot of people struggle with throughout life and throughout the generations. The first we talked about yesterday on the program, and that was, why do bad things happen to good people? We laid out reasonable and logical understandings as to why that happens. And certainly it is absolutely true that bad things do happen on occasion to some good people, truly good people. Well, we we talked about ultimately the bottom line culprit there is the devil himself and the fact that he leads humanity into sin on a widespread basis and sin bears consequence. And a lot of times even good people get caught in the fallout. Well, in this particular follow-up question, why do good things happen to bad people? And that is perplexing as well. Now, a lot of people, they wonder, well, why would God let bad things happen to good people? Well, again, sin is the bottom line reason, the devil doing his work in this world. But then there are other reasons, as we pointed out. Sometimes we think good people 
Or we think some people are good people when they're not necessarily truly good people in God's eyes. We also make some bad decisions in some cases, and they bring bad consequences, and we suffer for them. We get into bad relationships, and we suffer for those relationships. And sometimes things just happen. They're just products of living this physical life in this physical world. And they have some bad consequences at times themselves. But also, there are people who just, they don't think about God in their decisions. God's really not in their head. And even while from a societal perspective, we think, well, they're still pretty good people. Eh, Maybe not so in God's eyes. But even with, with that perspective from our mindset, God's not in their head. They do things that cause them suffering. Whereas if they would have simply stopped and thought and asked God in prayer, would you please give me your wisdom? Would you please guide me? Things might have been altogether different. Well, why do good things happen to bad people? We have been looking at Psalm 73, and that psalm deals exactly with that, with that question. The psalmist, he begins the psalm by saying, God is good, truly, God is good to such as are pure in heart. But then he says, you know, but I almost lost my faith. Yeah, I really struggled. I almost lost it there when I was struggling to try to live a godly life before my heavenly father, and I was suffering. It was hard. I was experiencing bad things from a physical perspective. And I looked all around me, and here were these wicked, evil, unrighteous, ungodly people, sinful, and being arrogant and boastful in their sinfulness and unrighteousness. And boy, things seemed to just be going great for them. In fact, they were arrogant. They mocked God. They thought they were getting away with it. And they were prospering. They were becoming wealthier and wealthier. I just didn't understand it. I was confused. I was bewildered until I looked deeper into the matter. The psalmist says, until I went into the sanctuary of God. We could say, until, until I really got dedicated and focused even deeper into the ways of Christianity. And he said, then I understood. I understood their end. They're not getting away with anything. God knows exactly what's going on, and he is holding them accountable on an ongoing basis. And their end, well... It's going to come on them like swift destruction. Going to catch them by surprise in many cases. And they're going to be amazed. I want us to look at some other texts of Scripture that talk about the foolishness of living unfaithfully before God, of living an ungodly life and thinking you're getting away with it. A lot of people think they are. Again, you know, there are so many people out there God is not even in their head. My wife one time asked me something along the line, why don't they, talking about some kinds of people who just, they were struggling because they were suffering the consequences of their sin. And she said, "Why why don't they try God's way? Why don't they give God a try? And I responded and said, God's not in their head. They're not thinking about God, not in their thoughts. Well, then you open yourself up to self-destruction. But there are some people who maybe they're not suffering right now at this, at this moment in time while they're living in abject sin. They're just living ungodliness, ungodly lives. They're maybe even mocking God. And certainly they use his name in vulgar ways on an ongoing basis, cursing with his name and profaning his name in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And they say, hey, nothing's happening to me. I got a good job. I drive a late model car. You know, I've got a lot of stuff in the house. But they're not getting away with it. Jeremiah, the prophet, wrote this in Jeremiah chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you. Yet let me talk with you about your judgments. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are those happy who deal so treacherously? You have planted them. Yes, they have taken root. 
They grow, yes, they bear fruit. You are near in their mouth, but far from their minds. In other words, they may be giving God lip service, but they're certainly not putting that into action in their daily lives. They're hypocrites, in other words, in that account. So here's Jeremiah. He also asks the question, why? Why do the wicked prosper? In Ecclesiastes chapter 8, beginning with verse 11, the wise man Solomon wrote this. Because the sentence against an evil work is not, extent, is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Now what's he saying? What the psalmist said back in Psalm 73. I look around me and I see these evil people, these people living in wickedness, in rebellion against God, and they're prospering. Nothing's happening to them. Well, the wise man Solomon says here in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 11, they think they're getting away with it. And so that just inspires them or encourages them to continue in their evil actions. But he goes on in verse 12. He says, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet... I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him. And so he is trying to reassure those living godly lives, don't get hoodwinked, don't get taken in by the ways of the devil. They look like they're getting away with it, all those evil people. They're not suffering for their actions. It doesn't appear to be right now, although a lot of times we don't know what's going on behind closed doors. We don't know the inner emotions that people are trying to bear with who are living in ungodliness, horrible depravity, sinfulness. He says, I know this, let me assure you. And he's writing God's word here. It will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him. In other words, those who respect God and live by his teachings. And then the next verse, but it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days who are as a shadow because he does not fear before God. The wicked who does not respect God, he just keeps living in his wickedness. Uh, Solomon said, let me assure you, it may look like this on the surface, like he's getting away with it, just surface level Uh, recognition and analysis, but he's not getting away with it, not getting away with anything. It's not going to be well with that individual on the final day of judgment. God knows what's going on, and he is holding him accountable. But let me assure you that if you are dedicated to living the godly life, God knows exactly how you're living, and he is ready to reward you. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting indeed. We look at 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 20. And Peter writes, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in other words, after someone has become a Christian, repented of his sins and come to God through Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them, they go back into those wicked ways, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. They're not getting away with anything. They're not getting away with anything. Just because God did not strike them down with a bolt of lightning the first time they committed a sin against him, walking away from him, it doesn't mean they're getting away with it. Peter says it's going to be worse for them in the end than it was in the beginning. Now, they're lost in sin in the beginning, How could it be worse than being lost in sin? Maybe, remember what the psalmist said, the end of the wicked comes upon them all at once and they're caught by surprise. And so maybe as those who come to God through Christ and are forgiven, become Christians, and then they go back into sinfulness and ungodliness again, I suspect that On that final day of judgment, when they're pronounced lost eternally, they'll remember how I blew it 
what did I do? I had eternal life in my palms. It was promised to me. And I turned my back on it, went back into sinfulness. And now look, I'm lost eternally. We're going to stop and take another short break. We'll be back in just a few moments. This is Gary Hutchins once again, and this is the Thursday, June 9th edition of Talk of the Heartland. I'm sitting in for Mac McCoy as he is recovering from shoulder surgery this past Tuesday. Talk of the Heartland is heard all over the extended Omaha metro area on KCRO radio and literally all over the world on KCRO.com on the internet. So if you're out of the area and you still want to catch the programs that are always, every day, on this radio station, you can do so by tuning in over the internet on kcro.com. As I've been doing, I want to encourage you to keep Mac in your prayers. He is recovering from serious shoulder surgery. He'll probably be back in the studio very soon, but he still will need your prayers on an ongoing basis not only for complete success and healing from the surgery itself, but also for as speedy and easy and pain-free recovery as possible. So please do keep him in your prayers. We're going to finish up our series that we have been looking at over these two days, yesterday and today, asking two very profound questions that continue to come up in the minds of people. People wondering and these questions are kind of reflections of their confusion, their wonder. Can I believe in God? Can I truly believe in him? Can I trust him to keep his word? Is he really all-powerful? Is he really loving, all-loving? Can I have confidence in his promises? Well, the answer to all of those questions is unequivocally, yes, with exclamation marks all across the page. Yes. But now the response would be what we looked at yesterday. Then why do bad things happen to good people? If God is all powerful, and he is, if God is all loving, and he is, why do good things happen to, or why do bad things happen to people who are really striving to live faithful, obedient, godly lives before him. And we dealt with that. I hope you were able to tune in during that time. Sin and the devil behind the sin is the bottom line reason. Because sin prevails within humanity, there are all kinds of bad consequences, and a lot of times even truly good people get caught in the fallout. But there are other reasons too. Sometimes we make bad choices, even trying to live a good life, and we suffer bad things as a result. Sometimes we forget to ask God into our plans, and we just go out as though we're in complete control ourselves, and we suffer bad consequences from that. Sometimes we get into relationships that look like they're going to be good relationships for us, but you know, a little down the road, we realize, you know, I've, I've suffered some bad consequences of this relationship, I'm going to have to walk away from this. And then sometimes we get caught in the fallout from other people doing bad things, you know, like shootings, thefts, things that people do to hurt other people, to try to take advantage of them, and even the innocents suffer bad things, even though they're trying to live a good life. And then sometimes Things just happen, and they're just part of the laws of nature. Hurricanes, tornadoes, 
floods, sometimes drought and famine. Sometimes things just happen, and even good people suffer. Well, we have been looking today at the inverse of the question, and that is, why do good things happen to bad people? We read Psalm 73, and the psalmist there was struggling with that very issue. He said, first he begins, he learned a lesson, he said, God is good to people who are pure of heart. But he said, I almost stumbled. I almost lost my faith because I was struggling trying to live a good life before God, a faithful life before him, and I was having a hard time. But I looked all around me and I saw all these wicked people who weren't even trying to live a good life. In fact, they were arrogant about their ungodliness. They even mocked God and they were prospering. They were getting wealthy and they were doing so well. And he finally said, you know, when I tried to understand this, it was too hard for me. I was, I was confused, bewildered until I went into the sanctuary of God. Now, we could say until I really looked into the truths of Christianity. And then he said, I understood that those people I thought were doing so well, they looked like they were getting away with it, even though they were living terrible, wicked lives. Now they're on a slippery slope. And their end is going to come to an end suddenly upon them. God knows exactly what's going on, and they're going to be held accountable, just as I and everybody else is going to be held accountable. Well, Jeremiah also He posed that same question, why did the wicked prosper in Jeremiah 12, verses 1 and 2? But the wise man Solomon, he wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 11 through 13, not all accounts are called to be paid at the same time. (laughs) No, he didn't say exactly that, but that's the sense of it. He said, just because wicked people, ungodly people, seem like they're getting away with it. They're not being punished immediately for their sinful deeds and actions. They're not getting away with it. He goes on and says, let me assure you, they're going to be held accountable. But those who still fear God or live in faithfulness to God are completely dedicated to God consistently. It's going to be well with them. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give account of the things done in the body, whether good or bad. God knows exactly everything that's going on. And he is a just God as well as a loving God. Now, God is giving time to people who need to repent to come to that realization that they need to repent. Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3 and verse 9 that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the next verse says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. So that final day of judgment is coming. But while we're still alive, God is being patient with us to come to our senses and then, then come to repentance. Now, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45, this is a truth that we need to understand. For that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Now, God blesses everybody with the natural elements, sunshine to grow the crops, rain to grow the crops and nurture them, and also to provide food and water for us to eat and drink to sustain our physical lives. But this is, this is to be a, a lesson, an example of godliness for us and encourage us in the, in, as we deal with our enemies, with people who are trying to bring us down. So God bestows some blessings universally on all mankind, sun, rain, laws of nature. But he, again, is holding all accountable for the way that they use the blessings that God bestows upon them. And you know, something that ungodly people need to come to realize is what James wrote in James chapter 1 and verse 17. 
every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down with the Father of lights, uh, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. In other words, some of those things that are truly good in the lives of evil people, they need to wake up and recognize that those are blessings from God. Now, they're not blessings upon their evil. They're blessings that God can use to try to help them wake up. And he's giving them time to come to repentance and obedience. God's goodness and patience should lead the unrighteous to repentance. And this goes along. It's the same principle, basically, as what we just talked about. In Romans chapter 2, Beginning with verse 4, the Apostle Paul wrote, We know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. <coughs> and he's just gone through a long list of sinful practices. In verse, in verse 3, he goes on and he says, And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? See, there's, there's going to be no escape. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering? Now, basically talking about God's patience with you, giving you time to come to your senses and come to repentance and obedience. He goes on and says, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. God is giving you time to come to your senses, and that ought to encourage you, motivate you, stimulate you to come to repentance before it's too late, because that day of judgment is coming. Not only Acts, uh, not only 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 tells us so, but also Acts chapter 10, verse 42, Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. We could go on. Now, remember, too, <clears throat> when we're asking this question, why do good things happen to bad people, that this, devil is the, that this world is the devil's workshop, as I've continually pointed out in answering these two big questions. And so he can cloud the issue by providing some things that might seem to encourage people living in sinfulness, that they are getting away with it. But now we only see an outward appearance of what seems to be the prosperity of people living in sin who seem to be getting away with it. We assume that having a great job and lots of money and seeming success spells happiness and fulfillment. But we don't see behind those closed doors. And countless people in those circumstances experience truly unhappy lives and crumbling families and they seek peace through drugs and alcohol and they end up committing suicide. We just need to stay focused on the truth of God's word and that he promises us eternal peace and contentment in heaven if we will live with him in faithful obedience consistently all through our lives. Let's have a prayer, and let's be praying for Mac as we close this study. It's been an honor for me and a blessing to be with you on Talk of the Heartland these two days. Our Father in heaven, you are loving, you are all-powerful. We pray, Father, for your forgiveness, and we pray that you will please watch over Mac, bless him with complete success from the surgery, and as easy and speedy and pain-free a recovery as possible. We place him in your hands. In Christ's name, amen.